you have in your front cover this uh, rather nice graphic, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. I don't know where you might have seen this uh, verse before. I've seen it being posted up during weddings, almost as if the daughter or the bride is about to forsake all things and follow the husband. Uh, but maybe that's probably not the context in which it comes from in this particular phrase. I've titled today's sharing, uh, Ruth, uh, Where You Go, I Will Go. And uh, I don't know how I didn't conspire to do this, uh, but in a way the focus is on two women. Uh, maybe today for Sunday the focus is on the women in our midst, uh, because our Methodist women are having their big conference. Our second offering is for Tanaganita, and the text we're looking at is also about women. Uh, so men, pay attention. <laughs> now, there is a story of this lady. Uh, her name is Mrs. Eunice uh, B. Wardle. Uh, she wrote a letter to The Express. The Express is the Daily Express, the Sunday Express in the UK. And it was published on the 21st of May, 2015. In a letter which uh, evoked a lot of interest and uh, attention, she wrote, This area where I live, I am invisible to the many people who surround me in their houses. Yes, they are busy, but there were no celebrations to mark the VE Day, uh, 70th anniversary. I was 16 at the time, working near Albert Square. There were no celebrations there or in Fallowfield, where I was brought up. The point I am making, in my 87th year, I get no gentle knock on the door asking, are you all right? My husband died two weeks ago before Christmas 2014, and I was alone without a friendly relative or neighbour. The district nurse comes around for about 10 minutes to dress my leg twice weekly. It was different when we came here in 1978. My husband and myself looked after old elderly neighbours. We did have help from a couple about three years ago, but since then, nothing. We brought a family up. We were sociable without being overly friendly. And today, I am trying to keep everything together. I've coped so far, but for how long? Any solutions? I don't drive, never have. I shop locally with my trolley. I keep myself tidy, and I don't scare horses. So what is it? I know the answer. It's age. The old saying, no one wants you when you're old. It's written by Mrs. Eunice B. Wardle. In a way, this is a, a bit of a picture of many of our ladies. And uh, as a pastor, I've realized that many times in the visitation, the women tend to outlive the men. And it's a common occurrence that we have. They lose their husbands, uh, sometimes their children. In particular, now in Malaysia, many of the children live far overseas. In Mrs. Waddle's case, the, the children live in Kent. Um, not that far, maybe about four hours away. But still, they're displaced and the family is not together. Now, I'm saying this in a way to set also a current contemporary setting. Okay? 
Because in the picture of Ruth, we have a woman who is maybe not as elderly. This lady, which we talk about, Ms. Waddle, Mrs. Waddle is uh, 87 years old in 2015. So by now, she's probably uh, 90 if she's still alive. But the story we're coming to in Ruth, we don't know how old she is, uh, Ruth and Naomi in particular. So I want to focus first on Naomi. We don't know how old she is. And I want to first focus on Naomi's suffering, which we have in verses 1 to 5. So uh, do keep your Bibles open uh, with you. And if you want to follow the outline, it's in the middle of our bulletin. It's an image of an upside-down picture, really. Uh, something about glasses tends to turn things upside-down or right-side-up, whichever way that you're looking. And in the first five verses, it depicts a picture of an upside-down world. I need to set this setting first. Um, Ruth comes after the book of Judges. And even in the first sentence, it says there, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Uh, so quite often, commentaries will write both the book of uh, Judges and Ruth together uh, because there's a commentary of each other. In the book of Judges, uh, most famously, we will have the story of Gideon, the story of uh, Samson, and all these other people who were called judges. The judges came into the scene as rulers or leaders who would take care of the people during a period when they were suffering attacks. Uh, I don't know whether you have a favorite character from Judges. Uh, many people remember Samson. Uh, I remember Ehud. Ehud was a leader who was a left-handed guy, but interestingly, Ehud had to deal with an attacker who was the king of Moab, and his name was Eglon. Aglon was a very obese and fat and vulgar man who was so fat that when Aglon stabbed him, uh, the sword disappeared. <laughs> so we know that uh, this family, in a way, it's a, it's a contrasting family. This family of, uh, of uh, Elimelech, uh, Naomi, Mahlon, Chilion, uh, move from Bethlehem in Judah. So let me just read that. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah. Now why does it mention in Judah? Because uh, historically there are two Bethlehems. So this Bethlehem is to say this is the one is in Judah, is in the southern part of Israel. <clears throat> Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. A man's name was Elimelech, and here's where some of the interesting occurs. Elimelech uh, is a Hebrew word, uh, a conjunction of two words, El, God, and Melech, king. God is king. In a time of judges, where God is uh, there with them, but everyone wanted a king, and all they had was judges, Here's another contrasting story of a family in its, you know, in its natural setting, uh, rather peaceful setting, where you have a man who's called Elimelech. A total contrast to the book of Judges. But aside from that, uh, 
there is this woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi's name actually means pleasant, good, in fact, even beautiful. So Naomi is this beautiful, pleasant, good person who is married to a man who is given the name, my God is King, Elim Elek. And they have these two children, Mahlon and Kilion. Now, commentators argue about whether Mahlon and Chilion are Hebrew names or whether they are uh, Moabite names. Uh, but that's not so critical in this particular juncture. But they come from this place called Bethlehem. And Bethlehem in Hebrew is Bet-lehem. Bet is house, lehem is bread or food. So the irony of this upside-down world is that this family who comes from the house of bread leaves it because there is a famine. This family who leaves the place where God is king is himself a man whose name is my God is king. And in all their leaving, as they leave Bethlehem, the promised land, the place that has been given to them, because in the book of Judges, they have entered into this land. After Joshua had conquered the land, uh, then this cycle of Judges has come. They've left the promised land and gone into Moab. Now, as I mentioned earlier on, Moab uh, is enemy territory. Uh, we have this story in uh, early part of Judges, somewhere within the third chapter of the story of Ehud against the king of Moab, Eglon. And how in that particular situation, they're at war. So it's a topsy-turvy world. And in this period of time, as you, as you recall, it says there, uh, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab. Uh, so if you're wondering... Uh, Ephrathah is an old name for Bethlehem. Uh, that's the name that we get in Exodus for Bethlehem. Now, uh, verse 3. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with the two sons. Now, it's almost like a, a, a Job story. One after the other, in very short sentences, disaster occurs one after the other. First, her husband dies. Then she's left with the two sons. Then, they, they married Moabite women. Now, you might think, okay, they just got married. But you see, for, for the Jew, to get married to a Moabite person was considered bad. Because in the Exodus, uh, as the people were leaving uh, Egypt, they encountered Moabites who were unfriendly and didn't, uh, didn't offer them hospitality. And one of the things that is said in Exodus as well as Leviticus is to say that those who marry Moabite women are not allowed into the assembly for 10 generations. Okay? It is a statement that said in Exodus and Leviticus, those who marry Moabite women, their offspring will not be allowed into the assembly for the next 10 generations. That's how adversely they look at these people. And so, in a way, Naomi is facing this disaster one after the other. The, the, the sons find these uh, wives and there's no comment there as to whether she objects or otherwise, but she, they're essentially marrying into a foreign family who were formerly enemies and probably still are. 
and they are beginning to settle in there. What was intended to be a short stay, a short stay. You see, in verse 3, it says there, uh, they went to live for a while. And some of your translations will say, went for a short while. <laughs> but then you see the progression. Uh, they eventually end there for 10 years. And to cap it all up, the sons die. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Mahlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, culturally, in that time, that's almost like a death sentence. Even now, maybe in some cultures in Malaysia in this current time, to be a single widow, an elderly woman, is a triple whammy. I say triple whammy because one, you're a woman. Two, you're elderly. Three, you're a widow. Have you heard this triple whammy before? I think you should because when Jesus refers to the poor elderly woman who gave the two coins, she was in exactly the same category. Elderly, woman, poor, no children. And so here is this Naomi in her suffering. What then do we learn about how we handle hardship, loneliness, loss, and to some extent, hopelessness? How do we respond to situations in life? This is in a way what the story of Naomi and Ruth is and how they dealt with it. So we hope to learn uh, something from these particular situations. Before I go further, let me ask you, when you encounter loneliness, when you encounter hardship, when you encounter loss and a feeling of hopelessness, uh, what do you do? What goes through your mind and what do you do about it? I'd like you to think about that first so that when we actually look at what Naomi does, you don't feel so hard about her but you also learn from, from what she did wrong, what she did right. We move into verse 6, and we have this picture, a lovely picture of two daughters and an elderly mother-in-law. Right? And eventually we get the picture where uh, Naomi and Ruth return. So uh, Naomi and Ruth leave, will leave Moab and return back uh, to Bethlehem. It's interesting that it says it's a return. And the same word that's used for return is repent. Okay, in Hebrew, that returning is a repent. Return back to where you were supposed to be. Now, I want to highlight here to have the back of your mind. Huh? Um, Elimelech's family basically did things that were, in a way, barred or banned. They were, in a way, not advisable and bad uh, bad idea to do this. One, they leave the promised land, they go to a place where they mingle with foreigners and they eventually get married to Moabite women where this was seen as totally anathema okay, culturally for those people. And now, after having lost everything, she's returning back. We have this comment here. Uh, let me just read the, the, the verse 6 first. Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. 
So one of the signs that the blessing was back in Bethlehem, possibly after a period of judgment by God, is that food was available. So food or material need was the thing that drove them back. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home, okay, to return, particular phrasing of the word, from there. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, you might be wondering, how far is this Moab from Judah? Uh, roughly about one week's walk. If you're walking, it will take roughly about one week. A uh, commentator said somewhere between 70 to 100 miles. Okay, so I don't know how fast you walk, <laughs> but they estimate it might take a, a week, a week's journey to get to the final destination. And somewhere along the way, verse 8 says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, interestingly, um, Naomi is using particularly key words in Hebrew. One is this word, kindness. Uh, you don't see it so well here, but in the Hebrew, that word kindness is a very deep, conceptual word called hesed. Hesed is loving kindness, covenant loyalty, one given to a person who doesn't deserve it. Okay. You have shown me hesed love, loving kindness. So Naomi is saying, you've been good daughters-in-laws. You've taken care of my children even until their death. And then she pronounces this blessing, may the Lord May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Two things I want to point out. May the Lord here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew God Yahweh. In your NIV Bible, it will be capitalized, L-O-R-D. But Naomi is essentially pronouncing a Hebrew God blessing. Not a, not a, a God of the Moabite people. Uh, known to be uh, Chile, uh, what um, uh, it, it, they had their own gods in Moab. She's not pronouncing a Moab uh, idol blessing. She's pronouncing a Hebrew blessing, a, a Jewish Yahweh blessing upon her. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Now, uh, I'd like you to pay close attention. She says, let's go return. Everybody pack. They go together. Somewhere along the way, finally, Naomi turns around, looks at the two daughters-in-laws. Now, I, I love this, you know, if you go back and you read this story, it's all dialogue. So you can have a role play if you've got two daughters or mother and daughter, you can do this role play. 80% of this book is dialogue. So it's a lovely drama to do this and to enact this. So there's a first kiss. So they left the house together, packed everything already. They're along the way. Then Naomi turns to the daughters and said, okay, my first bye-bye. God bless you. Thank you for being so kind to us. Go back and have another husband. 
The assumption here is that maybe they've only been married for a short while. Now, why is it, in a way, uh, Naomi's doing this? It's not for her own good. I have to tell you that Naomi is disadvantaging herself because what she's telling to the daughters is, let me go back alone as an elderly widow without help to walk back this one-week journey. You stay here where your family is, where your people are, where your gods are. Find another husband. Because in that culture at that time, no husband, no legal right. No husband, no protection. No husband, no life. That's the culture then. So we've come, maybe, maybe come a long way since then. So Naomi is also returning the kindness back to them, say, it's okay, let me walk on alone. Again, one of the questions at the back of your mind, is this how you deal with loneliness, hardship, and difficulty? Let me be, let me be alone, let me wallow in my despair. You guys carry on, have your fun. Uh, you know, I don't need your help, I don't need your support. Go off. Let me deal with this my way. So the first kiss, right, uh, she kisses them goodbye, and the comment says, uh, in verse 10, she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. We, both of them. So both Orpah and Ruth say the same thing. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Now, I want to point this out. So, they come away, they finally said goodbye and they kissed, and now comes the final kind of like parting, and both the girls say, no, we're going to follow you back to the home. And then Naomi begins this uh, dialogue of logic. She says, return home, my daughters. She's the mother-in-law, but she talks to them now as her own biological daughters, as if she were her own biological daughters. That's what the Hebrew tends to show. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughter, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Uh, you remember this word, the Lord's hand? <laughs> it can be good, it can be terrible. <laughs> and in this case, Naomi looks at it as the Lord's hand is on me as in she has punished me uh, from this. This is her view of this. But she's applied logic. She says, my situation is hopeless. Don't join me. Not only is it impossible for me to bring up children for you, because in their understanding, leverage marriage is one possibility. But she's saying it's totally impossible in my case. Even if I were to get married and have a husband tonight, and even if I were to give birth tonight, <laughs> are you going to wait for the number of years required until they are of marriageable age? I mean, she's giving a, 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 an argument of absurdity. And so, she's applied logic to this. And in this particular situation, Orpah is the first one who then uh, responds. Orpah is the one who kissed goodbye 
but Ruth clings to her. Let's read that. At this, they wept aloud again. Uh, this is verse 14. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. I wanted to underline that word, uh, clung to her, because again, in the Hebrew, that clung to her is the same word that you get, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, or be united to his wife. That same word is the same word that is being applied here. So, uh, Naomi is effectively saying, you know, I am united with you. I am with you. I am almost like you are family. You cannot separate us anymore without tearing us and damaging certain parts. Right? I'm with you. And then she says, <clears throat> Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, she, uh, uh, I'm not sure how many of you understand uh, the extent in which she's going. She's abandoning all her people, her own blood family, and she's saying, your family now is my family, your God, Yahweh, will now be my God. But she doesn't stop there. She goes further. She says, death will not separate us. And even if death were to come, far be it that I would be separated. What she's essentially saying is, even if you are going to die, which will happen at some point, I will make sure that you have a proper funeral and I will stay with you and take care of your grave. It's that kind of a thinking. That's the Middle Eastern understanding of how you interpret that. She was basically saying, I'm committed to you, I'm loyal to you, this is my covenant to you, and I will follow you. Even after you are dead, I'm not going to go back to my family. I'm just going to stay there and honour you. That's how far she went. And there's a comparison here. Naomi is giving a common sense argument but Ruth is giving this said loving-kindness. Out of covenant loyalty to her, Ruth is saying, yes, you make a lot of sense, maybe. Orpah agrees, and she has walked off. But Ruth is saying, I'm going to show you kindness, a covenant loyalty kindness that goes beyond death, which you know, uh, you know, the person who looks at this knows that it is grace, which is what said is. Grace, mercy, unwarranted kindness bound out of a relationship. Hesed is always within a relationship. For husbands and wives, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I forsake all others, I'm with you. It's that kind of Hesed loving kindness that is being shown here. So this, after this commitment, right, after this particular statement, we see in verse 18, uh, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She stopped urging her. Then we come to verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, a 
about a week's journey away. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Whole town. So Naomi was not a small, itty-bitty, far-out-in-the-kampong kind of person. When they came back, they recognized her. Now, you might think, you know, not a very big uh, town, maybe. But still, she wasn't a person who was insignificant. You know, with a person with a name like Elimelech, right, the husband, it's more likely that he was middle income or someone of repute within the family because the family had given him a very outstanding name. My God is king. And so they would know when she left, she had a husband, right? She had two sons. They had reasonable wealth and they were going migrating for a short while, kind of like a holiday maybe, in order to weather out that particular period. But now when she comes back, no husband, no son, plural, no sons. And she comes back with this Moabite enemy, mother-in-law. Loneliness, hardship, <laughs> loss of everything, shame. Is this really, is this Naomi? Can it be? And then her response to them, don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara. Mara. Now, Mara is not from our Malay word, jangan mara. <laughs> jangan mara means don't be angry. But Mara comes from the Exodus encounter where at the, at the, the pools of Mara, okay, bitterness. Mara means bitterness. So don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant, beautiful, good. Call me bitter. And she comes from a situation where she left full and she comes back empty. I went away full, verse 20. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The Lord has afflicted me. Again, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh <laughs> has afflicted me. And the Almighty, the Almighty is a special name that is given uh, of God. Uh, in, in translation, it's called Shaddai. We know this from the song El Shaddai. Uh, El Shaddai means God Almighty. But what Naomi is using is Yahweh Shaddai. God, in His personal name, in His personal capacity, He is the one who has afflicted me. Now, again, her understanding is God causes all things and all her suffering, God has made it be. So she still attributes it to God. Whether she finds it as a hateful thing or otherwise uh, remains to be seen. But let me point out a few things here. She did not return empty. She returned back with a Moabite woman who is now a proselyte, someone who has converted to Judaism. And she has encountered a daughter who is with her. Quite sad, you know, I don't know if you, were, if you put yourself in Ruth's position. Here I am, I've given up everything in all my family, I've come with my mother-in-law, I've committed to her undying love, take care of her grave for her until, until death parts, right? And then she says, I come back with nothing. <laughs> Ruth might be standing there and saying, I am nothing. 
as far as she's concerned, in her bitterness, in her head, I am nothing. So let me go back again to the original question. In your loneliness, in your hardship, in your distress, in your pain, do you look at yourself in the current moment and you say, I have nothing? Forgetting your husband, your children, your house, what is good that is there with you? You also need to know, right, that in this ending verse, so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. The writer actually says it there. Naomi doesn't know it then. All she thinks about is my bitterness, my emptiness, my loss of everything. But the writer is pointing out, Naomi returned from Boab accompanied. <laughs> She's not empty. She's not alone. She has this daughter-in-law who has made this commitment to her. And they arrive in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Cheng, cha cheng. <laughs> It's, it's kind of like a, a lead into chapter 2. It's like, wow, food! <laughs> what she was hoping for, the blessing of food, she now arrives at. And the writer sets the scene for the unfolding of how God himself will show has said kindness. Loving kindness out of a covenant thing. Not because she deserves it, but because he's a good God. How do we deal with this in, in, in terms of an application? And I want to try and think about, about this in the context of how does Naomi face her problems? Now, when Naomi sees a problem, she is very fixed in her current now. She doesn't have the helicopter view that looks at it and says, you know, um, down the line, right, your daughter-in-law, the one whom you thought was nothing and hopeless, the one who made this commitment to you, she will be the means by which God will redeem you. She will be the very means by which you will encounter kindness. She will be the very means which this book later on will tell you from whom King David is born. Because through the line of Ruth, and in this indirectly Naomi, King David will appear down this line. David and Ruth, grandmother. <laughs> so this is the problem that we have. We look at our loneliness, our despair, and our, our current situation, and we are unable to look past now to our final destination. But what is our final destination? Romans 8.28 says this. It's good to remember this. It's quite easy to remember. 8.28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, this is one of the hardest verses to apply when you are going through pain. That's why you need to memorize it when you're not going through pain. So that when you are going through your pain, it says, right now I'm going through pain, but I know God's purpose at the end is that He will work all things I said it again, huh? we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. I don't know the reason, but I know God has a purpose, and I know He works all things for good. I may not understand it as good, but I trust that it is His good. 
So look past your current situation. Second one, look past the hurt to act in faith and believe that God loves us. I put there Ruth 1.22 because in the midst of all this, the commentator says, Ruth was there. Naomi felt alone. She felt that she's lost everything, but she had Ruth who was standing right next to her. How many of us, when we look at our despair, we, we lose faith? God doesn't care. I've got friends, uh, even now, you know, uh, they're going through operations, they've lost uh, parts of themselves, they feel there's no hope. The wife is there, the children are there, I've got no hope, I've lost everything. It's almost like a moment of temporary insanity. The children are faithfully there saying, what do you need? What do you need? Then they're like, I don't want to take my medicine. I don't want to take this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to go and see the doctor. I just want to die. Depression. And so you need to learn this before you enter that situation, to look past the hurt that you are feeling, to act in faith and believe that God loves you. Naomi didn't think that God loved her. She felt that God's hand was against her. But we trust that God loves us. And the third one, we look past the cross to see God's greatest kindness in Jesus Christ. He's our example, you know, what Naomi goes through in terms of her loss, Jesus went through all of that loss as well. He left his kingdom, his God, his throne, came down to a people who are not his, came down to a people who were his enemies, died there for them, for the purpose that went past the cross of his resurrection. And verse 38 and 39 of Romans says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same promise that Ruth makes to Naomi, Jesus has made for you. Nothing will be able to separate us, not even death. Ruth stopped short at death, huh? She says, you know, only death can separate us. But Jesus says, not even death will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Will you hold on to that? That even in your pain, in your loneliness, in your loss, this verse, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Look past the cross, look past your hurt, look past your current circumstance and trust in Him. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, even as we look at uh, Naomi and Ruth, Lord, Orpah, we come to you acknowledging, Lord, the plight that many of our women have in our midst, Lord, as widows, as persons who are left alone to fend for themselves, Lord. And yet you call us to give loving kindness, a hesed kind of love, grace and mercy in covenant relationship and a commitment towards others, Lord. We pray that you help us to be faithful and true, 
and help us also to hold on to Christ Jesus, who will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. Not even death will be able to separate us from Him. Help us to know that in our loneliness, Christ is with us and has gone through it all and will carry us through. We commit all this to you, O Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.